Well, hey there, and welcome to the Saints Church Glory Hills podcast. We're so happy that you joined us today. Whatever you're doing, wherever you are, we believe that God will speak to you through one of our pastors today. Let's jump in. For those of you who don't know, I'm Larry. If it's your first time here, and I have the privilege of bringing to you the word today. And uh, we've started a series, You've Got Mail. And uh, so we're going through the book of First John. And uh, I've been given the wonderful opportunity to just speak to you about chapter 2, verse 1 to 6. And I've titled this, not surprisingly, from the last song that we sang, Knowing Me, Knowing You. If you're familiar, that's an Abba song. But who is our Heavenly Father? Abba. Daddy. That term of endearment. Abba is our Father. Knowing me, knowing you. We need to know Him. And He needs to know us. And so we're going to look in this, in this chapter here, in this verse of uh, 1 John 2, 1 to 6. I'm going to read that. If you want to pull that up, Keith. My little children, these things I write to you. Now, what things is he referring to? He's referring to what Pastor Jeremy speaked of last week. And we'll get to that point there. So that you may not sin. And if anyone sins, we have an advocate with the Father, Jesus Christ, the righteous. I love that. Every time I read that, it's something stirred up in my spirit. Jesus Christ, the righteous. What a name. What a name. Proclaimed in all the earth, Jesus Christ the righteous. And he himself is the propitiation for our sins. And not for ours only, but also for the whole world. Now by this we know that we know him. If we keep his commandments. He who says, I know him, and does not keep his commandments is a liar. And the truth is not in him. But whoever keeps his word, truly the love of God is perfected in him. By this we know that we are in him. He who says he abides in him ought himself also to walk, just as Jesus walked. So I love the way Paul starts this out. By referring to what he had talked about last week, Pastor Jeremy, in in the previous verses. If we say that we have no sin, we deceive ourselves. We're sinners. Saved by grace. We are sinners saved by grace. And so we deceive ourselves if we think we don't sin. Because yes, God is changing and transforming us into the image of Jesus. But along that journey, we're going to encounter times when we're not quite as perfect as we think we should be. Or as God hopes we could be. And we will sin. But the good part is, is that he has given us an advocate with the Father, Jesus Christ, the righteous. Jesus, that word advocate, I just want to get into that a little bit. It's parakletos, and we've heard that. It's a familiar term. It speaks about para, beside, and kaleo in the Greek, called to one side. So Jesus is literally standing by our side, called to in our place, for us, as an intercessor, as a comforter, as a helper, and in this case, an advocate. 
Now, in non-biblical literature, Paracletos had the technical meaning of an attorney who appears in court on behalf of another. Someone who pleads on behalf of someone else in a court of law. Now, I experienced this in my life a long time ago, 1989. What is that, 34 years ago? Where I was in a terrible car accident. And this is a good opportunity for me to share a tiny little bit of my testimony because I love to you know who I am. I didn't receive Christ till I was 27 years old, so I had a life before me, as we all did before we met Christ. But I was in this terrible car accident, and uh, the crazy part is, is that I had a dream about it the night before. And I saw myself in an ambulance with the sirens going off and my side torn open, and, and I woke out of it in a cold sweat and went back to sleep and had the same dream again, and then woke out of that with a friend who invited me to go skiing. And I declined. It was Friday the 13th. I was very superstitious. I said, no, I don't go anywhere on Friday the 13th. That's, I'm fine with that. Well, since then, I've been delivered of all those superstitions. Because we know that God rules and reigns. And he only lets happen to us what he desires happen to us. But uh, so I turned him down. And about an hour later, he called back and said, Larry, you got to come skiing. I love skiing. I was a ski instructor. I love to ski. And... Uh, so he called back in an hour and said, I can't find anyone. Please come, Larry. I'll pay for the whole thing. So how can you turn that down? So I went with him. Little did I know, we went through Edson just as we left Edson. At this time, the highway was only one, one lane, oncoming traffic. And uh, as we approached a hill just outside Edson, there was a van in our lane passing a semi coming up the hill. And I was in a terrible head-on collision as a passenger. And when I came to, the door was stuck to my side. I was covered with blood. I ended up miraculously not breaking a bone. Even the police officer said it was a miracle. And uh, spent four days in the hospital in Edson. 250 stitches, put me back together. And then I went home. That same night, my spleen ruptured, another event from the accident. They rushed me back to the hospital. I spent 19 days there. My spleen burst in my belly, my belly filled with blood. Uh, it was a fearful thing. After 19 days, I was broken. And to know a little bit about me, I was a proud guy. I was arrogant. I was a liar, I was a cheat, I was a, I stole, I, I did everything that because I had no understanding of God. I had no conscience. I knew it was wrong, but I still did it regardless because I didn't think there was a consequence to it. And when I got home from the hospital, God had softened me. He had prepared my heart. He had revealed the accident to me. I knew it was coming, and to my surprise, it happened. And then he spoke to me as I was standing in my living room. And he said, Larry, I'm real. And the Bible's true. It shocked me to hear that. It wasn't an audible voice, but it was a voice from within. And it rocked my world. Because at that point, I didn't believe in God. And at that point, 
it began to stir my heart. Little did I know that I was going to receive the advocate for my life. Because that moment opened my eyes to see that God was real. That the Bible was true. And that he existed and that he had made a way and given me an advocate. Jesus Christ the righteous. So as the journey continued, well, I, I was hurt. I couldn't work for three months. So by talking to my friends, they all suggested I go and see a lawyer. Well, a lawyer is simply an advocate. And I shared my testimony with that lawyer of what happened and then walked away. At that point, I did nothing beyond that. He went before the judge. He pleaded my case. He got me something for that accident, which ended up paying for my wedding and a few other things down the road. But my point being is I did nothing at that, at that point. Nothing. My lawyer, my advocate, took care of it all. He knew the law. And he could stand before a judge and plead for me on my behalf. And the judge would respond by giving me a just and fair return for the damage, for the hurt, for the wounding. Shortly after God spoke to me, I received the real advocate, Jesus Christ the righteous, and asked him to come into my life. And from that moment forward, he stood on my behalf, pleading to the Father, saying, I paid the price for Larry. My shed blood paid the price for his sin. Romans 6.23 says, The wages of sin is death, but the gift of God is eternal life in Christ Jesus our Lord. The law required a payment for my sin. God required a payment for my sin. The punishment was death. Eternal separation from God. There is no other way around it. Something had to be done. Jesus did it. He went to the cross. He died for me. He died for you. He died for everyone. That we might have an opportunity to be washed, to be cleansed. That the price would be paid because it had to be paid. God is a righteous God. He is a just judge. His ways never change. He never changes. There had to be a price for my sin. And Jesus paid that price. 2 Corinthians 2.5 says, speaking of Jesus, for he who knew no sin became sin for us, that we might become the righteousness of God in him. Jesus fulfilled the law. He became sin for me. He became sin for you. That the law might be fulfilled. He alone made us righteous. We're righteous. We're righteous. We have a right standing with God if Jesus is our Lord and our Savior. His blood paid the price for each and every one of us that we might be able to stand before God cleansed, purified. It's a beautiful thing. 
1 Timothy 2.2. 2. And you can pull this up if you have to, but I have it here as well. But if everyone wants to see. He himself is the propitiation for our sins. Not for ours only, but also for the whole world. And propitiation, that's one of those words that we don't often use. How often have you used that in a conversation? Probably not that often. But the Greek for that is halasmos. And it means merciful. That's the root of it, merciful. And the word describes Christ. Through his sacrificial death, appeasing the wrath of God on account of our sin. His mercy, God's mercy, was moved by Jesus being an propitiation for standing in our place, appeasing the wrath of God that we might be able to come to God and have a relationship with him. Scripture says in Hebrews 9, for without the shedding of blood, there is no remission of sin. Jesus shed his blood on the cross that our sin would be covered. He paid the price once for all. Adam back in the garden sinned. It brought sin into humanity. One man and all were condemned to his eternal separation from God because of sin. Well, Jesus came back, one man, and paid the price for all, that we all might be in relationship, that we all have an opportunity, that all of us, our sin, could be forgiven. Hebrews 8, 12, some of these Keith doesn't have, says, For I will be merciful to their unrighteousness, and their sins and their lawless deeds I will remember no more. He was speaking about the new covenant, the new covenant that we live in. If we accept and allow what Jesus did for us, it enables us to walk in the light, trusting in him for his completed work on the cross to empower us in this life. When Jesus died on the cross, he said his last words, it's finished, it's done. At that moment, it was done. Everything that needed to be done was done, that we might have a relationship with God. So we need to take a personal inventory in our heart. Often the hardest thing for us is when it comes to sin. We know our own thoughts. We know our own deeds. We know our own hearts, or at least we think we do. And that sin that we do and we commit along our journey keeps us separated from God. It creates this barrier because we feel filthy, because we feel unclean. It keeps us from drawing close to God. So firstly, and my first point is, keep the temple clean. We know Scripture tells us that our body is a temple of the Holy Spirit. It's our responsibility to clean the temple, to keep it clean, to be aware when we're walking in things that we shouldn't be walking in, doing things that we shouldn't be doing. God desires clean hands and a pure heart. A clean conscience, being forgiven of our sin and washed by the blood of Jesus. Because the accumulation of sin in our lives can directly separate us from communion with God. With sin comes guilt and shame. I mean, we saw that in Adam and Eve. The moment they sinned, they hid from God. They saw their nakedness and they felt ashamed. I can't be in God's presence, they were saying to themselves. Well, the same thing happens to us. If we walk in sin, 
guilt, shame, the enemy pours it upon us. He continually reminds us of our sinfulness. He continually reminds us of our sinning. I had a picture where I was at work, working, uh, and I paint. I, paint a, I painted a complex in Morinville. And the parking lot from where we had to work, there was a big field, and we had to walk across that field. And it was a farmer's field, so it was just all dirt. And when it rained, it was full of mud. And every day, we'd walk across this mud. And you know what it's like to walk across the mud. Every step, your boots get covered more and more and more with mud. It becomes harder and harder and harder to walk. That's what sin does for us. If we allow it to accumulate in our lives, it makes it harder and harder and harder to walk close to God. As I was meditating on this, I had a picture of Pigpen. We all know Pigpen from Peanuts, that little guy that would walk around and have that cloud of dust and dirt that would just hover around him all the time. Well, how many times have you encountered people with that same cloud over them? Of sin. It keeps them from God's presence. And I'm not talking unbelievers. I'm talking about believers here as well. Because it creates that shame, that guilt. It separates us from God. So at salvation, we're born again. We become sons and daughters of the the most God. But we have to daily, or as often as necessary, go to him, to the Father. Confess our sins. Because what does it say in verse 8? Verse 9, if we confess our sins, he is faithful and just to forgive us of our sins and to cleanse us of all unrighteousness. So we don't just go to him once and we're washed and cleansed and purified forever. Yes, in his eyes, but still as we allow sin to accumulate in our lives, we need to continually go to him and ask his forgiveness. Father, forgive me. That's all he asks is that we recognize our sinfulness We ask him to forgive us, but also that we repent, (laughs) which means kind of go the other way. Don't keep sinning for the sake of sinning. And that's one thing that I want to, a caveat that I want to put in here. Don't use the grace of God. Just because we have that opportunity, don't use the grace of God to sin. And keep going back to him over and over and over. Forgive me, Father. Forgive me, Father. Now we know he will forgive us. Jesus set the precedent 70 times 7. How many times do you forgive someone who offends you and sins against you? Well, over and over and over and over again. And God is faithful and he will. But I warn you that it will cause a rift in your relationship. It will if you continue to sin over and over and over again. We're to be changed and transformed into the image of his son who never sinned, who lived a perfect life. So 1 John 2, 3 to 5. We read that earlier. I'll I'll remind us again. This is the test for knowing him, for knowing God. Verse 3, by this we know that we know him if we keep his commandments. He who says, I know him and does not keep his commandments is a liar and the truth is not in him. But whoever keeps his word, truly the love of God is perfected in him. By this, we know that we are in him. There's a lot of knowledge. No, 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 no. (laughs) Secondly, my point is keep his commandments. Keep his commandments. The commandments of God are not suggestions. They're called commandments for a reason. God commanded his people saying, do this and you will have a relationship with me. We're familiar with the old Commandments, the Ten Commandments that were given to Moses on the mountain. Have no other gods before me. 
Have no idols. Don't take the Lord's name in vain. Remember the Sabbath. Honor your father and your mother. Don't murder. Don't commit adultery. Don't steal. Don't bear false witness. Don't covet. The Ten Commandments that were given to the people. Now, obviously, we know in history, nobody walked that out fully except Jesus because he was without sin. Because we sin in our mind, too. You know, Jesus kind of laid it out there saying, well, if you lust after another woman, you've committed adultery to her. If you hate your brother, you've committed murder. So it's the, the, the law in and of itself, only Jesus fulfilled. But Jesus came along and brought a new commandment. Could you bring John 13, verse 34, 35 up, Keith? A new commandment I give to you, that you love one another as I have loved you, and that you also love one another. By this, all will know that you are my disciples if you have love for one another. Wow, that's a pretty simple commandment. Love one another. Love one another. How hard can that be? <laughs> oh, very hard, apparently. <laughs> and we'll have a look at Matthew 22, 37 to 40 as well. Because it puts forth the same point. Jesus said to him, you shall love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, and with all your mind. This is the first and greatest commandment or great commandment and the second is like it you shall love your neighbor as yourself so Jesus put together all the commandments I guess there's one more verse after that but that's okay these two commandments hang all the law and the prophets so everything that God had revealed through the old testament through the law through the prophets was fulfilled in this one two commandments love God with all your heart all your mind all your strength and love your neighbor as yourself. There seems to be a key in both of these commandments. And it's love. Love, love, love. The fulfillment of the law came through love. For God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son. It's all about love. It's all about love. I could stop right there and just say, that's it. Let's just love one another. And God will rule and reign, and the world will see. But it's a process. It's a process. So who is God? God is love. Bring up 1 John 4, 7 to 11. Now, this is a spoiler alert, because we're doing the book of 1 John, and I'm going to jump ahead to chapter 4. But out of necessity. So I'm not going to ruin the whole thing. <laughs> but... Verse 7 says, Beloved, let us love one another. And John has a continuous theme going on here. For God, for love is of God, and everyone who loves is born of God and knows God. Everyone who loves is born of God and knows God. Verse, or chapter, verse 8, He who does not love does not know God. Pretty simple. That's a test that doesn't take a lot of understanding or wisdom to recognize. Do you know God? If you know God, you will love. If you don't know God, you can't love. Period. For God is love. In this, the love of God was manifested towards us that God has sent his only begotten son into the world that we might live through him. And this is love, not that we loved God, but that he loved us and sent his son 
And there's that word again to be a propitiation for our sins. So at least we got to use it twice in one day. Beloved, if God so loves us, we ought to love one another. To know God is to be like God. God is love. Often the world does not see God in that way or in that light. They think of God as the unjust judge, as, as harsh and as cruel and as demanding. But we know, if we know God, God is love. Everything that he does for us is rooted in love because he is love. First Corinthians, what's love from God's perspective? I mean, we know we have the love chapter. First Corinthians Chapter 13, verse 1 to 8. I'm going to read this. It gives us an idea of what love is not, for starters. Though I speak with the tongue of men and angels, but have not love, I have become sounding brass or a clanging cymbal. And though I have the gift of prophecy and understanding all mysteries and all knowledge, and though I have all faith so that I could remove mountains, but have not love, I am nothing. And though I bestow all my goods to feed the poor, and though I give my body to be burned, but have not love, it profits me nothing. We always try and work and do things for God. But that's not, so, that's not what he's asking. He's asking for us to become like his son. If we read on what is love, verses 4 to 8, love suffers long. Love is kind. It does not envy. It does not parade itself. It's not arrogant. It's not proudful. It's not puffed up. It does not behave rudely. It does not seek its own. It's not selfish. It's not self-serving. It thinks no evil. It does not rejoice in iniquity, but it rejoices in the truth. It bears all things. I love these three. It believes all things. It hopes all things. It endures all things. That's love. Love never fails. It never fails. If we could walk in love, we would see God move mightily in our midst. We would see God touch the world if we could walk in love. The third point I want to make is keep his word. 1 John 2.5 says, Whoever keeps his word, truly the love of God is perfected in him. By this we know that we are in him. Keep his word. We have to read the word of God. We have to know the word of God. That word perfected in the Greek is teleu. I like that way I said that one. Meaning to complete, to accomplish, to carry through to the end, to bring to a successful conclusion, to reach a goal. All these represent a journey. It's a process. To learn to love is a process. But I think most importantly, we have to recognize that God is love. And that love that God pours out in and through us, we don't have our own strength, our own ability to do that. That's God love. That's sacrificial love. The fruits of the Spirit they're available to us because the Holy Spirit dwells within us. Love is the first one on the list. 
joy, peace, long-suffering, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, self-control. This is how we tap in to the love of God through the Holy Spirit who dwells within us. Ephesians 3, if you want to pull that one up. This is my prayer. That he would grant you, according to the riches of his glory, to be strengthened with might through his spirit in the inner man. That Christ may dwell in your hearts through faith, that you being rooted and grounded in love, may be able to comprehend with all the saints what is the width and length and depth and height. To know the love of Christ, which passes knowledge, that you may be filled with all the fullness of God. We need to be strengthened in our inner man by the Holy Spirit to be able to love. And I love the part to know the love of God, which is beyond knowledge. The world can't love because the world doesn't know what love is. God reveals his love to us, through us. As we watch one another, as we spend time with one another, we see Jesus, we see the love of God pouring through us. And we understand what love truly is. To know him, to know God, we need to have a relationship with him. I mean, I can tell you all about God. All of his attributes. Everything that is about him. John chapter 17 verse 3 says, And this is eternal life that they may know you. One true God, the only true God, and Jesus Christ whom you have sent. We call him Abba Father. Whoever knows him keeps his word. Whoever keeps his word becomes like him. When we spend time in the word and in his presence, we are changed. We are transformed into the image of God from glory to glory. We need to spend time with the Father to know him. We can't just learn about him. That's not sufficient. I went to Bible college. I learned all the different attributes about God. He's infinite. He's immutable. He's self-sufficient. He's omnipotent. He's omniscient. He's omnipresent. He's wise. He's faithful. He's good. He's just. He's merciful. He's gracious. He's holy. That list alone, and it's a much bigger list than that. Is that enough to know God? I mean, we know about him. But do we truly know him? The only way to know him is to spend time with him. It's a journey. It's a journey as we go through life. Just like Tracy, my beautiful wife. I mean, when I met her, I knew her for less than a year we were engaged. I hardly knew her, but I loved her. Or at least I thought I loved her. Because after 31 years, the love grows and grows and grows. The knowledge of her grows and grows and grows. She doesn't have to tell me her qualities, her attributes, her strengths, her weaknesses. Spending time with her reveals that. Well, God is exactly the same. We can know about him and we need to go to scripture to understand who he is. His heart, his thoughts, his desires, how he wants us to be. But we need to spend time with him. We need to talk with him. He needs to talk with us for us to truly know him. Every circumstance, every situation that we go through in life, if we allow God to walk with 
us through it. We'll, come, we'll become like him. He will show us himself through every situation, every circumstance that we go through. He will reveal himself to us, his character, his attributes, his love for us. That's how we get to know God. We need to, t- to tap into the Holy Spirit. Selfish plug here. My home group, I teach on hearing God's voice and the gifts of the Spirit and the Holy Spirit. It's critical for every believer to understand and hear the voice of God. He's talking to us continually. Do we recognize his voice? How do we recognize his voice? I walk with him. I talk with him. He talks with me. I spend time with him in prayer. My prayer used to be 95% Larry talking and 5% God talking. After 34 years, it's 95% God talking and 5% Larry in awe, saying, thank you, Lord. Thank you, Father. That's the relationship. With relationship, communication is necessary. We have to communicate. God communicates to us through his word. Scripture says his word is living and powerful, sharper than a two-edged sword, piercing to the division of spirit and flesh, soul. It divides. It's like looking in a mirror. And when we look in the word of God, we see ourselves. It convicts us. It challenges us. It changes us. And we're changed into the image of his son. And that's what God is pursuing. That's what he desires, is that we would all be like Christ, that we would all be like him. But we have to see him to be like him. As a father, your children, they don't listen to what you say. They learn from what you do. It'd be nice if they listened to everything you said. <laughs> well, it's the same. Jesus came to his disciples to show them how to love, to show them faith in what it was like, to show them the power of God in operation, to show them how to be believers, how to trust God, how to walk with God. And we have to do the same. We know, they know that we are disciples of his, scripture says, by our love. If we are disciples of Jesus Christ, they know by our love. That's the sign. That's the true representation of Jesus Christ. And fourthly, my final one, keep in step with Jesus. 1 John 2 6 says, He who says he abides in him ought himself also to walk just as he walked. To walk just as he walked. And we think that saying is recent. Well, within the last 20 years, anyhow. But the wording came from 126 years ago, an 1897 novel by Charles M. Sheldon called In His Steps, What Would Jesus Do? What would Jesus do? But Timothy in this verse, or sorry, John in this verse, when he says, walk as Jesus walked, isn't saying, what would Jesus do? He's saying, do what Jesus would do. Do what Jesus would do. Be led by the Spirit. As we're walking through life and encountering all the obstacles and all the things that we do, we need to be in tune with the Holy Spirit. We need to be asking him, what do I do? And then when he responds, 
do it. Do it. Do it. No arguments. Just do it. Because he wants to. He, he, he walks with us. He is in us. He empowers us. He gives us the ability to love. He gives us everything we need to live a life of godliness. We need to be led by the Spirit. To follow that still small voice that guides us and leads us. I mean, what did Jesus do? He was the representation. He said, what I see the Father do, I do. What I hear the Father say, I say. This is the goal. This is our challenge. Holy Spirit, show me what to do. Holy Spirit, tell me what to say. And inevitably, we've already heard what happens. Love never fails. Love never fails. God's plan was to bring love into the world through us. Sacrificial love, supernatural love, unconditional love. A love that gives everything and then gives more. Gives everything and then gives more. That's the love that God is looking for. Love never fails. Love points to God. Love points to Jesus. God's plan, God's purpose is for that. Can I get the band to come up? Praise you, Lord. Praise you, Lord. So I'm just going to do a little bit of a recap here as the band is preparing. The first point that I wanted to make is keep the temple clean. Keep the temple clean. You are a temple of the Holy Spirit. Take personal inventory of your heart regularly. We have an advocate, Jesus Christ the righteous. We have a father who says he's faithful and just to forgive us our sin and cleanse us of all unrighteousness. Confess your sins, but don't use the grace of God as a license to sin. Keep the temple clean. Secondly, keep the commandments. They're simple. Love, love, love. Keep the commandments. Love God with all your heart, all your soul, all your mind, and love others. Learn to love as God loves, empowered by the Holy Spirit. It'll never fail. It'll never fail. Thirdly, keep his word. Read your Bible and live its truth. Let it change you. Let it transform you. The word will transform your mind. You have been given the mind of Christ. It will change you. As you get into the word, as you keep the word, you will grow. You will be transformed into the image of Jesus. Because Jesus is the word. He is the word. This word is living. It's powerful. It leaps off the page and jumps into your heart. Exposes, heals, delivers, changes, transforms us. Get into the word of God and it'll change your life. We can't be changed if we don't get into the Word. We need to be in the Word. We need to be in His presence. And fourthly, keep in step with Jesus. Ask yourself, what would Jesus do? And then do it. Ask the Holy Spirit, what should I do? And do it. Learn to hear the voice of the Spirit as He directs and leads you through your day. Walk as Jesus would walk with great expectation great faith that he would touch people in your lives 
change their lives and that the world would see that we are disciples of Jesus Christ through our love. Amen, amen. Hey, thanks for joining us today. If you have any questions or are looking to get connected in any further way, head to saintschurch.ca and we would love to meet you.